0: Do you like data centers? Because I love data centers!
1: I love data centers. I do love data centers. I love data centers. I live in Breeze. I do. love data centers. I love data centers. I love data centers. I love data centers. I love data centers.
0: Hello, this is your host, Sean Patrick Terrio. I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me as I have another authentic conversation with a player and character in the data center industry. Hopefully you are able to download some thoughts, ideas, and knowledge that will add value to your career and your life. Note that this podcast is a labor of love for me, unsupported by advertisers so that I am able to have an uninterrupted conversation free from distractions for you or commercial obligations for me. As such, I do have one request, and that is simply that you share this podcast far and wide with your peers and throw a hashtag, I Love Data Centers, if you can, while sharing on social media. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of I Love Data Centers. This is your host, Sean Patrick Terrio. I am here today with Jason Oakroy, CEO of Salute Mission Critical. Jason, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So the reason why I wanted to bring Jason on is because he is not only a fellow entrepreneur, but he's running a company that focuses on placing veterans into facilities and operations roles in the data center industry and has a a great story to tell. Uh, on a variety of different levels. So we're going to be digging into that story with Jason today, having conversations about what it's like to manage, run, operate a data center. Um, I have a handful of questions for him to hopefully drop some knowledge for you, the listener, about what it takes to run, operate, and manage a data center facility. But before we get into all that, Jason, where are you physically located so that we can conceptually See you and picture you while we're while we're talking.
1: Yeah, I'm in the lovely city of Rochester, Michigan. So just about 50 minutes outside of Detroit.
0: And I know from our, our prior conversations, we are fellow Midwesterners, having grown up in Chicago, myself. And are you were you born and raised and and everything out in in Michigan as well? Yeah,
1: so uh, I was born in Michigan and lived in a small town called Royal Oak, and once I graduated college. I ended up moving away and moved to Chicago uh, just for about nine years and then moved over to North Carolina for a couple of years. And I think that's actually where we met yep. uh, some time back. And then uh, recently, back in 2018, I moved back to Michigan. Uh, just had two small kids and wanted to have a good family support system and have my kid be able to uh, have relationships with the grandparents as my wife and I's family all live here.
0: Yeah. That's, I, I think funny enough, we actually first met when we, when I was in Chicago, visiting uh, the data center that Kevin Francis and his partner had stood up downtown that uh, who, I think Tierpoint ended up buying that, that property.
1: Yeah, they did. They were called altered scale 601 West Polk. Actually that was the first office um, that salute had. I used to, uh, Reside on the second floor.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we originally met there, and then I met up with you down in Charlotte a few years back uh, before you left back for Michigan. Yeah. So, uh, I think you're you're roughly around my age. As I was doing some stalking online, and noticed that you graduated college around 2006 ish.
1: Yeah, I graduated in December of 2005. So, currently 37.
0: Gotcha. In something that threw me for a loop is you had De La Salle listed as your, as a high school that you went to, which the De La Salle I know is out in Northern California and has the crazy, amazing football team that like has a, you know, 501 record or something, you know, ridiculous like that, but it's a different De La Salle or are you guys affiliated?
1: Um, I don't think it's affiliated. Uh, But yeah, this is just a small Catholic school that is uh, in Warren, Michigan. So I actually also think there's a deal to sell just outside of Chicago, so there could be a few of them out there, but not affiliated with the amazing football program. Yeah.
0: And so, growing up in Michigan, how did you get involved in technology? Did you did you have parents that introduced you to? Uh, to tech or you know like me, i was I was a gamer from day one, and my nickname actually, when I was little, it was Game Boy because I was constantly playing Game Boy and Nintendo um, before I started digging into computers and whatnot. but what what got you into tech? So I never really got into
1: technology itself, but it was always just fascinated by business itself. So I actually just stumbled into the industry uh, right out of college my first gig was uh, doing IT recruiting. And I realized that I didn't want to sit behind a desk and I needed to be out. So I ended up calling a buddy of mine who I went to college with and his dad had a big house and you know, drove an Escalade. So I was naturally fascinated by uh, the riches he had. And I went, to, um, I went and sat down and had a conversation with him and he basically just said, I'm in this industry called data centers. And he worked for a company at the time, I think it was called Media Recovery, and I think they now are data span. But um, he started telling me all about the industry, and that's when I ended up getting hooked on uh, this space. So it really wasn't anything from a technology standpoint that I've been fascinated with. It's always been the business side.
0: It's funny you triggered it. A flash memory of just the other day I was listening to uh Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad talk about how he got (laughs) started and it was really him talking to one of his friend's dads who um you know had means and his dad who was a professor simply said well if you want to learn how to make money son talk to the people who have the money uh and figure out what they did and how they got to where they're at so it's so what's uh, so funny
1: about that yeah is uh The Rich Dad, Poor Dad series uh, was what got me interested in starting and uh, trying to find a way to run a business. Uh, So my buddy and I that I played college soccer with ended up uh, just taking an interest in it. And I am in my office right now. I have the, I think it's a seven-part series that uh, I'm looking at right now. So yeah, the first one I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's kind of what kicked it all off for me.
0: There you go. so for for those who are listening, if you haven't read that book and you're thinking about starting a business or, or running a company, highly recommend it or even if you're interested in real estate in any perspe- in any way, shape or form, I would highly recommend it. So um, so you met a friend's dad who was involved in the data center industry. did like how did you start slanting towards that um, more full time? Was it because I'm sure as an IT recruiter, you were doing all kinds of different IT placements beside data center. Yeah.
1: So when I was doing the IT recruiting, it was not uh,
0: specifically for data center
1: positions. It was more on the programming side of things. And um, when I ended up meeting him, he started talking actually about the physical infrastructure and the physical space itself. So what I was doing was uh, I was still working the IT recruiting job. And then at nighttime, I had taken on a sales position with them and uh, was calling folks on the West Coast Uh, because there was the three-hour time difference, uh, to see if this would be an industry that I would be interested in getting into. So I started making some sales calls and emails and sending messages to folks to uh, see if they would be interested in a a cooling solution that, uh, that they were selling at the time. And then so all of a sudden, uh, I was getting a ton of a response, and there was a lot of interest in what we were offering. And so I ended up quitting the IT job, and then I went full-time into uh, working for an organization. They're called uh, Technology Connection.
0: And what what year, time frame was that? Late late 2000s? Uh,
1: 2006. I think it was June. Uh, 2006 is when I went full time into the industry. So I've been in uh, the space for a little while.
0: Yeah, it's roughly when I jumped into the industry as well, ironically enough, um, when I was out in the Bay area. So, so as you're doing that job, how did you, how did you kind of roll into Salute? Because what, what Salute is doing specifically, and just, just to make sure you're not a veteran yourself, are you? I am not. I'm not. So, so how did Salute, what was the impetus for Salute? And I'd love to just being the entrepreneur that I am, uh, I love the story of when people originally had the idea um, and then how it went from idea to actual manifestation of you know actual company. So can, can you walk us through that story?
1: Yeah, uh, no problem. So, um, you know, I always like to start with ideas or ideas and you got to be able to put an action plan together uh, to be able to see that those ideas are going to be real. And so uh, I met a gentleman, namely Kirby, who's uh, currently my business partner. And uh, he and I had met when we were working with a mutual client back in 2012. And we were at uh, a data center conference. And he and I started talking about just some of the challenges that Uh, the industry was facing and was going to soon face. And so with him being uh, a retired colonel, he just got out of the military in 2012. And at that time, we were coming out of a recession. And also, there was an extremely high unemployment rate for veterans that were, I think, ages between 25 and 30, uh, was roughly almost 22%. So we got together and we wanted to solve two problems. One, how do we reduce the unemployment rate for veterans that had served our country that uh, would be a great asset to the data center industry? And then we also uh, were seeing that there was just going to be hyper growth within the industry. And that there was going to be eventually a personnel shortage problem. And me that still exists significantly. So we set out on the journey and we started the business in 2013. And we took these, you know, those two problems and we developed a business model that was going to uh, get military veterans access to data center positions. And how we were doing that was through uh, providing services to our customers, very basic things everywhere from cleaning to hot out containment and getting folks the you know our, our industry loves the experience if you got a data center title they always kind of you can always joke that people are willing to pay a premium for that and so there is really never a good feeder system into our space and the only way of getting people experience was to have on the job training and, and to work on projects and so in 2013 that's what we set up was a number of different service offerings where we'd be able to bring in some subject matter experts that would be able to provide the training and the required you know uh, safety measures that we needed to perform a task and uh, we started very basic of just offering data center cleaning services and hot oil containment and since there it's it's continued to evolve and our business model has uh seen a lot of veterans enter into the industry and that's what makes our business a little unique is, is that we're taking people who would traditionally you may think as unskilled uh, putting them in a, a good framework, getting the necessary skill sets uh, to excel into this industry, and eventually they end up going to work for our customers and then we end up back filling those positions and it's uh, very cyclical and it's it's worked really well for us
0: so what does the recruiting process look like for you? I know I was very blessed to have a, uh, a family, uh, actually my uncle called me up, uh, because a family friend of ours, uh, was coming out of the army, uh, as a, he was a ranger and had four months left of service, was not in combat and applied for an internship program that would give him, you know, job skills. And sure enough, two years later, he's still with me now, my business partner in my firm, um, Aaron Wagner, but he he was able to kind of go out of his way to find a program that would give him that opportunity coming out of the service. How how do service members now find you or what? how do you go about recruiting and finding talent?
1: Yeah, so there's a few different means for us. So early on, it was really just uh, picking up the phone and making calls using the means of Monster and Indeed. And LinkedIn wasn't that popular at the time. And uh, to be able to make calls out to folks and try to get them enticed to come and work for us and to be able to get them sold on the long term vision of what the company was going to be and and the opportunities that we would be able to provide them and how they're going to be able to start a long uh, career making a very fair wage and to get into an industry that uh, was going to be so necessary to how we operate and I think where we are today you're seeing. the need for technology and how data centers are becoming a little bit more mainstream. So early on, it was very much about making phone calls. Now uh, we're tied into the different TAP programs. Uh, We're part of the MSEP program, which we get access to military spouses uh, and other family members so that uh, we can pull them into the industry. And uh, so that's really it. It's it's really just getting access and tied into a lot of the TAP programs and doing active outreach um, through our recruiting division.
0: And what, what are the qualities? Because uh, not surprisingly, when I've toured through the hundreds of data centers I've toured through, I can almost tell, you know, 99% of the time, if that facility is run by a former military uh, personnel. And I can tell specifically due to the cleanliness of the facility itself, I can tell uh, by the friendliness and, you know, direct nature of the the question and answer sessions I have with the people. Uh, And then the other key one is just basic situational awareness of the individuals. You can tell that they are very much uh, in tune with what the heck is going on and who's where, um, and what the different roles and responsibilities are of those folks uh, working that that they have direct management over whether it's contractors or direct employees, but are, are there specific traits that you're looking for when you're when you're talking to folks? So the qualities
1: that we're we're looking for is more on the aptitude side and the willingness to want to learn. Um, those are the the traits that we traditionally look for. We believe that Uh, whatever MOS that you were in within the service, that you have a place within the data center space, whether you were in the infantry or a truck driver. Uh, Our industry has traditionally pulled from the Navy nukes. Uh, When we set up our business, it was our charter to not hire those folks and to go after the rest of the military. And it was really to prove that we could take what uh, the industry traditionally thought as would be unskilled personnel and, and help them find a place within the space. So, you know, whether you need to, to, to work in the data center security space, um, or on the IT side, uh, there's, there's a lot of different avenues that you can go down. But for us as an organization, we just focus heavily on aptitude and, and willingness to work. The rest of it is, has been ingrained in them with the discipline and, and not panicking when there is a, a situation that may arise.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the key things as well that I found is it's almost an ideal um, job for for those who come out of the military that you know didn't hate being in the military, right? <laughs> and and the re- repetitive nature of the job, um, being prepared by doing tasks over and over and over again, even though there's not an emergency, lends itself to our space because you have to do constant. Uh, checks and and maintenance and drills, even though there's no outage, right? Um, And for some people, that's just boring and monotonous and you kind of lose track of what you're doing every day. And for others, you know, they get into it. They understand the reason why they're on top of it um, and they can still stay motivated. And that's, I guess that's one of the key questions I was I, I still have for you is how do you gauge for that? I guess I don't even know if you can gauge for that, but have you found a way to gauge for that within individuals as you're um, going through an interview process?
1: No, totally, totally understand. It's it's a great question. You know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is is through our in, uh, interview process uh, from when they first start and get information about our organization. What we've done a great job of doing is being able to correlate between certain MOSs that they've been with in the military and understanding how that correlates into the data center space and to the questions that we ask them. We can pick up pretty quickly if they're going to be able to uh, react a certain way whenever there is in, an incident within a data center and, and obviously... Everyone hopes that doesn't happen, but uh, it is inevitable that something will will eventually occur within the space. So, uh, a lot of it is just the initial questions that that we ask them that we can we can get a good sense. And then, additionally, when we're going through the interview process, it's not just HR that we get involved. We're heavily involved with having the managers who. Uh, we try to get them linked. So if they were an infantry person, we'll try to get them linked up with another infantry person within our organization, so they can communicate, and and we do a nice job gauging it that way. Yeah, but there is no real good answer. You, you never know when something's going to happen. I'll, I'll share a story. There is um, at uh, you know, there was a lightning strike at a at a data center, and it caused uh, a blip in the systems to go into action, and you could tell. Uh, from the team as to how all the veterans were reacting that they had went back to their state of mind when they were going through drills and they knew exactly how to react uh, from others that that weren't that were a little bit more panicky and they immediately went into their mode of this is the procedure that i need to follow i'm going to do a through z we're going to get the site back up and running immediately and and so your, your comment earlier about uh that discipline that they have is 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 so true but it really yeah. gets down yeah. to the repetition and drills but to go back to your your original question it's difficult to to uncover how someone's going to to react but you know we try to do our best just through the interview process by asking you know kind of probing questions and and how they would react to a certain situation are you able
0: to go and you know doing um kind of due diligence on someone and speak to maybe their former superiors in, in the military, or can you call into those individuals? I haven't even thought through that process, but I, I'm just curious if, if they list someone who is, you know, above them in rank that they worked under for a, a year or two or three, is there anything preventing you from calling them just to get their opinion on, on the individual?
1: We have in certain instances, but uh, that is not a, a, a best practice that we follow, but that is it, it. it is a way to to try to undercover how the person uh, uh, would operate.
0: Gotcha. But that is not
1: a best practice for us.
0: Yeah. And the only other thing I was thinking is I would just imagine tenure is probably a sign of of how content someone may be in that role. You know, if someone was in and out in three, four years doing the minimum service possible, uh, they may not, you know, 100% of the time, obviously, but may not be as comfortable in that position as someone who's been in the military for 10, 15 years. Um, I, guess yeah, I don't it,
1: know if that's necessarily true. Huh.
0: Um,
1: we have a lot of workers that have done their four years that were, um, you know, cooks that have turned out to be absolute fantastic employees and we've had others who have been officer rank that uh, that haven't been able to make it so it really just gets down to the
0: individual gotcha so the other line of, of thought i wanted to go down when you're helping to support a data center it's uh, and I, I want to clearly define what that means to you, because data center like cloud means a lot of things to a lot of different people. When talking to a lot of end user enterprise customers, they may call their server closet where they have you know six seven servers in a small room with a uh, a fan blowing on it. You know their their data center. Um, you, you know what what does a data center mean to you?
1: Well, for us, it's anything that has a uh, a generator. Um, and has uh, access floor, and uh, is gonna have mechanical and electrical equipment with IT servers. So we traditionally have stayed away from uh, some of the closets of operating those. But what's interesting is over the past six months, uh, we have seen a lot of need to be able to support those type of locations around, around the world. And it's actually one of our faster growing areas the base, yeah, no, but yeah, no. for us, it's just all about the cooling and, and electrical and mechanical equipment. If it has it, it's something that we can support.
0: So what makes for for some of those listening to help their head wrap around this, the infrastructure that is required to support a production data center for me what i mean by production data center is a non you know simple closet with a couple servers yeah. uh, that's hosting mission critical you know infrastructure that can't go down or you know really shouldn't go down um, like a police a police department's nine one one unit, or you know, a credit card transactions, or uh, you know, certain websites that have a lot of volume uh, clearing through them. W- what's the difference between that infrastructure and that of a you know commercial building or residential high rise?
1: So operations in general for the data center space, there's really two buckets as to where it's involved. You have the big hyperscalers and and how they operate is more heavy side load. so you have your traditional data center security your mechanical leads your electrical leads your network leads and you got your assistant manager your facility manager and then you outside of that space you have your more traditional enterprise facilities and a lot of those enterprise facilities are your traditional you have your office campus and part of that is uh it has a data center in it right it could be an old lab or a print room and they've kind of migrated that into a data center space and and to support those you traditionally just have your chief engineer and everything else uh it's just part of the overall building and then recently over the past let's just call it seven years there's been the massive push to go into the co-location space and as private equity has started to flood into this industry The way that the facilities are operating are a lot more lean. And this is the trend that we're starting to see is that those silos that have traditionally existed over the years are starting to be broken down. There will always be a need to be able to have subject matter experts, but what has been happening is you're trying to take and do a lot of cross training within individuals. And so it builds a lot of resiliency into the team, it helps with ship coverage, it allows opportunities for career path development and and personal growth uh, within the industry. So we're seeing a big trend where uh, those silos that traditionally exist, uh, are starting to be broken down, particularly when we're getting into the co-location space. I think if you go to the hyperscalers, they're going to opt the way that they do and what they feel comfortable with. But as you, the private money comes in, it has been uh, the, the teams have become a lot more lean.
0: That's interesting. I would. It, it's similar to I would imagine what DevOps is and has become. Uh, the need for engineers on that side to understand both software and physical infrastructure and how they marry yeah. with one another and how important that is uh, as, as a company scales and grows, I would, you know, the, it, it's hard for a lot of people to understand just how much engineering and building blocks kind of go into these properties and facilities and, um, but that cross training and cross functional understanding of how it all fits together and ties together from a network, electrical, cooling, is key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw when I first got started in the industry, um, I had a, we had a facilities manager out of 200 Paul that operated our our handful of um, I think we had a little over 100,000 square feet of of co-location space under management. He was one of those jacks of of all trades uh, who could go into any of those systems. And understand what was going on and and fix what was going on and was, you know, as a result, extremely valuable commodity within the company. Um, And yet there are other firms that I've worked with uh, or for who have simply let contractors who were those specialists take care of the, the different pieces of infrastructure. Is there, you know, what are the driving, I guess, reasons and thought processes of those who are operating facility to determine, if they want to bring that expertise in-house versus have outside contractors uh, take care of it for them?
1: It's really a philosophy of the business. There are a lot of uh, hyperscalers that like to self-perform and then there's others that don't, uh, that like to outsource those services. Uh, And that holds true within the co-location space as well. So it's more of a, a philosophy as to how you want your facilities to operate. You know one of the things that to go back to the 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 cross training one of the interesting dynamics that has changed over time has been the relationship between facilities and i t and I know that you you probably have seen it there's always been the the i t folks that haven't necessarily respected the facility folks and and the the chief engineers and and over the past several years it's been great to see a lot of that being broken down and you're having folks that are not only going to be doing, you know, some mechanical or electrical or rounds and readings, but also be able to support the IT side of the house. That change is, is really recent. But when I first got into the industry, there was a huge interesting dynamic between IT and facilities. I don't know if you ended up seeing that as well through your, your days, but uh, that has certainly evolved over the time.
0: Yeah, there, there's two different dynamics there that you – that I can recall, uh, in in I guess my dealings with different data center data centers and really the people within the facilities is you had a lot of IT automation that was going on inside facilities, and there was pushback from a lot of the facilities uh, operators and managers because at the end of the day, they they really weren't. Um, They were facility savvy, right, and physical infrastructure savvy, but they were not um, software savvy. You know, looking at a tablet uh, that was giving them readouts as to what was going on within their entire environment um, was not something that they wanted. And this was, you know, 10 years ago or so. Uh, They they would rather touch it, feel it, um, and and physically interact with it than have that data sent to them and, and aggregated to them. I've seen that flip occur, and then the other big one, yeah. And then the other big one, and you can spin off on that, but the other big one for me was the, the the constant fight between facilities and sales, right? So sales just wanted to sell, sell, sell. If we can sell it, we can build it. And facilities always wanted to put uh, very specific standards in place within a facility so that uh, you couldn't have. Massively different sized environments or different types of infrastructure being deployed, especially in the different co-location facilities uh, on the same data center floor because it just created havoc from a cooling perspective and electrical uh, perspective and everything. So that was a constant battle. And I, I learned very quickly that my, you know, two of the many best friends I needed to have. Uh, one was on the legal side with my legal team with the contracts. So I got to know that team very well, but the other was with the facilities team. And so getting to know them very well, uh, giving them incentives um, to assist and help me um, was key in understanding where they were coming from, because if they were pushing back, You know, I, it's just my nature is to want to know why and always ask, well, why, (laughs) which drove them crazy at first until they realized that I actually cared. Uh, and that when they would hear me and I would bring them into my meetings, when they would hear me regurgitating, uh, what they told me and, you know, understanding it, then they started to gain more respect for me so that they would think more open-mindedly and creatively about how we might be able to go about solving a, a, a problem together for a customer. Um, but yeah, you know, what your
1: experience was like? Yeah, it's interesting because sales will always drive uh, the business, and operations is always the last thought. I've seen it so many different times of, we're going to sell three megawatts, uh, but they don't know how to deliver on the three megawatts. Right from from the space, is it ready? Where are they going to put it? And it's that dynamic definitely does does exist. One of the things that is. Um, started to get a little bit better. And this is something that Lee uh, had pushed uh, a number of years ago was the, the concept of starting with the end in mind of with these co-location providers or even enterprise people of, you know, what do we ultimately need? And then let's end up working backwards uh, to, to get to the point of what they can ultimately sell. But at the end of the day, you know you're talking a sales rep where they're traditionally commission driven. So they're going to make promises that uh, operations is going to have to figure out how to uh, deliver on. It's very competitive out there now. So people are going to continue and uh, find new creative ways to make deals work. And then Ops is just left with trying to figure
0: out how to solve the problem. Yeah, I remember I, I walked into a data center in New York, and I'll refrain from saying which one. But you walk on the data center floor, and I literally saw five different methods of cooling. Um, you know, some from bottom up, some from top down, uh, some you know in in row cooling going on in the same data data center floor. And I just thought to myself, whoever the facilities manager is here is probably either you know super pissed that he's got to constantly you know, rejigger the wheel to figure out how to make this work, or he's super stoked because he gets to play around with all these different technologies and figure out what works and what doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Well, if you've been in the industry long enough, you, you certainly have seen that. Um, But I, I, I'd lean more towards that. It's a, it's a frustrating element to deal with just because now you're talking about, you know, different vendors and road cooling specialists are different than your traditional, uh, air conditioning provider. And so as opposed to just having, you know, one vendor to be able to support something, you may have to have three or four, uh, just the, to support the facility. So it can become an ecosystem nightmare. Now that's one of the things that we continue to see is, is that the, the supply chain and the ecosystem of the data center industry, there's just a mass consolidation uh, that companies are looking to go through so that they can really simplify and provide their customers with Good experiences.
0: So what are some of the organizations that you've uh, been participating with and in that are ops and, and facilities focused in the data center space?
1: So for us, we have a couple different partnerships. So Lee is the chair and sits on the infrastructure masons for their veteran community. So we work heavily within that community. We also are big supporters of 7x24 and DCD. Um, and uh, we work closely with them. Obviously, with everything that's going on right now, we really haven't been at a lot of conferences over the past uh, half year. But uh, those are a couple of the organizations that we, we do work closely with to, to get messaging out there and to do thought leadership and to help try change, uh, to drive change in the industry.
0: So to, to that end, how has the last few months, you know, we're sitting here on... July 30th, doing this interview, how have the last few months with the COVID lockdowns and, and whatnot affected your, your business?
1: So we've been very fortunate. It, it has not uh, had a negative impact on the business. And it kind of goes back to when we started the business, we always wanted to be in a need business that through good or bad times whatever was thrown at us is that these are going to be services that are going to be needed and not wanted to be in the the want business as, as i like to say so our business has uh has survived and has continued to thrive during this time and i'm sorry there what's allowed us to be successful really I, I go back to just the the culture of the business so everybody has been on a lockdown and it goes back to the personnel that you have hired and uh, is there the trust that you have within your team? Have you made the proper investments into training, uh, to the overall integrating them into the culture of the business and understanding the why of what we do? And that is really has come out. And so for us as an organization, we we have not been impacted. If anything, you could say we've we've seen an uptick in services, particularly when it comes to the remote hands and call out programs. So they're looking to do dispatching of techs within the space.
0: So the distancing aspect of it hasn't really come into play or prevented your your people from doing their jobs inside those facilities. Absolutely not. Uh, what's an
1: interesting little story is is that we launched uh, Chile. So one of our customers brought us into Chile uh, to help operate their facility. Facility, and we did a complete virtual launch. So we did not send a person down there. We used the the local uh, team through construction uh, and the current operator that is there, and we work closely with them. When I say operator, I mean the, the co-location provider. Is we work closely with them, and we onboarded a team. I think it was about ten people uh, to to support the facility, and that's ranging all the way from security protocols through uh, the engineering layer.
0: That's good to hear, and I, I've noticed that, this, you know, other than mask wearing and you know an, an attempt to stay, you know, distanced within the facility, there's still data center tours happening. There's still facilities people going into those facilities every day, doing their jobs, uh, and you know our our industry has not been impacted uh, the way that some might expect it it would be. Uh, are there individuals, you know? I don't know if you, you can't answer this question, but are there any individuals who've just refused to to come in and say, I'm not doing this. I'm too afraid of, of the impact of, of the virus.
1: We have not had that.
0: That's great and to I hear. I think it goes back to the, the,
1: the culture. And when you're hiring a veteran, you know, they look at things a little bit different uh, from going from the battlefield to, to go into this and they're, you know we provide them with a safe work environment and it really gets down to communication and explaining them what they're about to go into uh, one of the things that we've done uh, that has changed has been really the shift patterns uh, that we put into place to try to minimize the number of people that have been on site so that if one person does get ill uh, that it doesn't impact the overall team and so Within the industry, it definitely there's been an impact with how operations uh, has been handled, but it hasn't been as as impacted as as other industries.
0: So the other question I have has to do with uh, words that I know sales folks tend to drop on a regular basis, which is mops and sops. Can you help debunk, or, or not debunk, but kind of add some color to what the heck MOPS and SOPS actually are and why they're, why they're important?
1: I just try to explain it as they're, they're guidelines needed in order to complete a task and to ensure that when you start a task, uh, you finish the task with all your, uh, you know, 10 fingers and, and 10 toes. And it's a way for you to stay safe throughout uh, a process. And so within the military, they're they're very keen on process, and so we uh, we train up all of our people, and it's an easy correlation. So for me, you know, the mops and sops are are what keeps our workers safe and keeps equipment running, and it minimizes the downtime.
0: So I can imagine over the years, you've seen a lot of different um, data center management software. Uh, providers kind of come and go and, and pitch their wares to you and, and to the different companies that you're supporting. Um, can you walk through what that has been like and how you've seen that software and technology evolve over the last decade?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Automation has become, uh, it, it's it's a necessity. Uh, and as you're seeing uh, DSIM, I mean, when I first got into the industry, DSIM uh, was starting to be talked about, but was very early on, and, and most organizations have their own platforms that are required to be able to support the facility from your BMS systems through your ticketing systems, uh, through your asset management systems, CMMS, and they're all getting integrated into to one platform. And it really just makes uh, the operations that much easier. So you're not having to constantly click through, I need to go into this software piece for this information, and this one for this information. And it really just has simplified and, and streamlined the process.
0: How, how do you go about, because I know you know across the industry, there's probably at least a half a dozen different uh, technologies deployed in any given facility. And even the same company may have different software that they're using in different facilities based on different acquisitions that they may have had over the, the prior years. Um, how do you go about training your personnel? Like, do you do pre-training ahead of time, or do you wait for them to get on on site to to learn from those who are already playing with it? Uh, what what does that look like?
1: There always going to be an aspect of training before you end up stepping foot onto the onto the facility. But to your point, there are colo providers that, uh, as you mentioned, through acquisition, they may use you know, a Schneider product in one location, a Verta product in a different location, and something homegrown in a, in a third location. So it's really a, having to collaborate with the subject matter experts at each of those facilities uh, to get the team trained up. But one thing that we try to do is usually when that happens, there isn't consistency with the operation across all the different buildings. And so we train our teams to be able to uh, manage situations similar in each of the buildings, whatever software platform that they may have to be using to monitor.
0: Gotcha. And is there anything that you think doesn't exist in that space that needs to exist, or or isn't getting the attention that it deserves? Because I I know there's a lot of new, you know, whiz bangs that are coming out and and companies that are trying to sell into this space. And a lot of them hit me up um, trying to get access into that industry. And the key question I have is always like, well, what really are you doing that's different than all the other um, tools that are out there? And it's I, I liken it back to when I was in Silicon Valley and people would come at me and pitch me an idea for a company. And I have to come back to them and say, that's not really an idea for a company that's just a, uh, a, an app really, or it's a feature that probably one of the existing players in that space is gonna be rolling out here shortly. Um, so what have you come across anything that's truly, that you think is missing, or, or even that's maybe something new that's come out that's impressed you?
1: I don't know if necessarily anything is missing. I think there's bits and pieces. It's just figuring out how to get everything integrated. I mean, as you mentioned early on, there's been a lot of different software companies that made investments. I mean, these are big investments, and that's why you're seeing a lot of the bigger organizations that have a lot of funding be able to to thrive and be able to grow their 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 DCIM platform. Um, and then you get other folks that want to try to develop their own homegrown. But you know, one area that I've always found to be helpful that I haven't seen too much integration on would be the kind of just thermal maps within the facility you get a lot of temperature sensors that are out there and you know you get your basic temperature reading at certain levels but just the the real live data for thermal dynamics i think is something that's going to continue to be needed to be developed and the reason for that is as densities you know continue to increase uh, and as temperatures within the data centers continue to increase for intake temperatures, you know response times uh, are are different. So you know your cooling infrastructure is going to have to be uh, adjust rapidly and quickly, and and it starts a lot with just the thermodynamics. So that is something that I've seen over the past you know five years make a lot of strides. And there's a lot of organizations that are trying to attack, and and I think it's an area that, as an industry, we're going to continue to see development over the over the next five years. It's going to be an absolute bust. And then the other thing too, as with the emergence of edge computing that is happening, so not only talking about the the hyper you know nodes or facilities, you're now talking about these edge facilities and having all those separate platforms that would be required to be able to see what's going on in you know, the middle of Idaho and what's happening in Chicago, getting all those linked together. I think that's going to be the next big wave of, of technology that's going to get integrated.
0: Yeah, and then there's security that ties into that as well because that's always been kind mm-hmm. of the the fear that I've had is let's say, you know, let's just take someone like... <laughs> Digital Realty, who's got, God knows how many you know, hundreds of, of data centers around the world at this point, if there were to be all of those facilities tied into one portal and that portal were to be hacked in some capacity, then all of a sudden, you know, nefarious actor has visibility and control within all of those different, different facilities. So, uh, I know there's some smart brains working on that, on that project right now, um, it just so happens, I don't know if you know uh, John Trout. Do you know Jonathan Trout, per chance? I do, yeah, yeah. So John happens to live here in in Raleigh. He just moved out of here not too long ago, and uh, we've been spending some time together. And my, he's been opening my mind and my brain because he comes from the software side of the house uh, and the IoT side of the house uh, around what's going on in that space and, and blowing my mind. And I'm going to be bringing him on for, for an interview here in the not-too-distant future. Um, but have you have you you know what are your thoughts on that and how different providers maybe are addressing it today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about kind of single points of failure that are created. I'm not an expert when it comes to the the software side uh, of the business, so I can't really give a, a good answer. But I'll, I'll just say this: is that you know, in anything in our industry. You know, when there was just uh, you had single utility feeds, or then you ended up having a single UPS, and and we've have constantly evolved to uh, to build a level of redundancy into these facilities that have been required. So, from a software standpoint, absolutely, they're going to have to build in redundancy, and and I'm not quite sure how much of the information is going to, uh, you know, that they have available, um, you know, through the platforms uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint. But it's definitely something that uh, is going to need attention uh, over the next couple of years. And I know there's a lot of groups out there, but uh, if there's someone that could solve it, uh, I know John and and he's got a big brain and, and I'm sure that uh, um, he's going to be able to help the industry for
0: sure. Yeah. So as you've been in and around the world uh, in general, so let's look outside just the data center industry. I'm curious what what are some things that you've come across over the last few weeks or months even that have made you stop and think differently? or you know something that maybe you've seen that's impressed you, that's unique, that's new, innovative uh, in the marketplace or just in the world at large?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things with being a parent and having kids and, and also seeing my nephews, to me, is is the education system and some of the remote learning that is has been developed. Um, I think that has been very interesting to see. Uh, I go back, if you recall, there was a story, I think it was in Japan, where a bunch of the kids ended up creating that app where if they had so much uh, negative reviews about it that the app would be dropped, and that they wouldn't have to end up doing any of their coursework online. I don't know if you ended up seeing that, but I think that came yeah. up early on. And so, uh, just remote learning and and uh, how that has just evolved over the past few months has really opened up our eyes to uh, how things are going to get accomplished. And for me personally, one of the biggest adjustments that I've had to make over the past you know, four or five months has been the, the travel. You know, I, I've been on the road pretty much for eight years, whether that's through conferences or clients or traveling to new locations to open up new markets, uh, to have that come to a halt. You quickly realize and how much travel eats up your calendar and that when removing that, you, you, you start to think, how much travel was really necessary? Were we traveling just the travel or were we traveling because it was an absolute must? And you know, for us have learned as a business is that uh, we have been able to get a lot accomplished through using, You know, we're a big Microsoft user. So using the Teams app and the Teams platform, we've been able to get a lot accomplished. And particularly with the next generation of talent coming through, they're used to working in apps and, and not always being in person. I mean, my, my nephew, they have these play dates and they don't like to do sleepovers anymore. They like to just get onto their gaming system and do their videoing, and they play, and then they go to bed in their own room. And when I was a kid, it was all about, you know, you go to someone's house, you stay up late, you watch a James Bond movie, and have some popcorn, and you try to stay up as late as possible. And and now how those things are done is is completely is completely different. So for the next generation of talent coming through, this isn't going to be that abnormal for them. It's definitely different for me.
0: That's definitely good points on a variety of levels. I, I do question, and I totally agree around the question, of how much of travel was absolutely essential and, and required and needed. Um, considering, you know, I think I've done one or two trips in the last five months. Um, and I can tell you straight up my relationship with my wife and my kids now that I haven't been traveling is a lot better than it was prior Uh, prior to being locked down um, took some very hard real conversations that we had to have with each other to get there Mm -hmm. but it it forced those conversations which I'm so thankful for and blessed for Um, but the other thing is even within like industry conferences it's very difficult you know you think about all you know I, I just think about all the conversations I had with people that I knew I did not know going into a conference in a side alleyway or a side not alleyway but in a side conference hall at you know alleyway um, or at a dinner when I just happened to be placed next to someone that have resulted in lifelong friendships and and or doing business together um, yeah. I'm yet to, and I've been a part of about a half a dozen virtual conferences now in the last couple of months, and none of them really afford that opportunity. And so though I do, I do see value in a lot of the online conferences, I think there's a lot missing and there's a lot of those personal connections that are not being made and not being had, um, that are going to be detrimentally impacting people's lives and people's businesses. It's just, you know, and for me, I'm a social, you know, I'm one of those extroverts who's also an introvert. Um, I get energy when I'm out and about with people. And I also get energy when I'm just alone by myself doing journaling and reading. Um, but I miss being out and around people and talking and learning new things, talking to people, meeting new people. So, and I know I'm not alone, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of no, people. No, I who would are, agree. Yeah, I would
1: agree. I mean, I think that being in person and relationships and the personal touch is is extremely important. Um, and I think you'll see within our industry that as we work through this over the next six months to a year, um, you're going to see that world change a little bit. So there may not be a conference every single week. There may be just. You know, a conference every week virtually, but then you have maybe two events that are in person that everybody goes to. Uh, but I definitely agree with you that there, there are relationships that are forged at those conferences that uh, they've become lifelong friends. I think a lot of what's happening right now is people have built out their own kind of personal ecosystems and their own support networks. And right now, it's kind of, it's a different way to, to, to grow that. And it's through, you know, asking a friend uh, for an introduction or, you know, bouncing an idea off to someone else uh, to get a different perspective. And some of that over a beer um, is we're a little ways from from that happening. So I just think that uh, I agree with you, um, just the, the whole conference space and the need for travel is is definitely going to change uh, yeah. for the better or good.
0: It's it's still kind of to be determined. Yeah. So for those who um, want to know more about Salute and want to know more about you, what, what are the best ways for people to, to find you and engage with you online? So from a business
1: perspective, uh, our website and our LinkedIn uh, corporate page uh, does a great job of getting information out about the organization and some of the things that we're working on uh, from a personal standpoint you know, the traditional means, whether it's through email or phone or, you know, someone sends me a LinkedIn message. Uh, I don't have Twitter or Facebook or any of those other social platforms. Um, So I'm fairly simple uh, and a good old fashioned email or call or text uh, usually is pretty easy to get in touch with me.
0: Great. And for those listening, it's SaluteMissionCritical.com and Jason... O'Groy's O'Groy's last name is O-K-R-O-Y. And for those who are uh, who have this all up in front of them on their website on a website, uh, we have all the show notes here below that you can check out. Um, the last question I have for you, Jason, I greatly appreciate your time, that I'd like to ask all my guests is do you love data centers?
1: I absolutely love data centers.
0: Well, thank you, man. I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. I love the work that you're doing uh, and all the help and support and jobs that you're providing to to our veteran community. Um, They have changed. You know, veterans have changed my life uh, for the better uh, in a variety of different ways and have a lot of family members who have been through the service. And um, I know a lot of a lot come out, you know, totally. Flustered and not understanding how they're going to fit back into the world at large, and having that lifeline that you can reach out and say, "Hey, we we have opportunities for you to get you the training," is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and hope we can support you in any which way we can.
1: Uh, listen, I appreciate you having me and uh, allowing to to share our story. And
0: um, cannot be more thrilled to be on. So, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Peace, man.
1: All right,
0: take care. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And before I sign off, I really need you to know that we really do love data centers over here at Open Spectrum. It's not just a, a catchy tagline for a podcast. They are our passion and our livelihood. And I encourage you to learn more about how we serve buyers, service providers, agents, master agents, and investors in the data center hosting network and cloud services space. Uh, you can check out our website at www.openspectruminc.com, where you can download a mountain of free content that we produce, such as the numerous regional market reports and excerpts from our book, The Data Center Colocation Industry Playbook, that is now on its fourth edition. You can also read the show notes and links from this podcast at www.openspectruminc.com forward slash Centers. Have a great week and I will see you and and hopefully hear from you soon.